I know that you've uh, you've had some discussions about the book of Esther. And so I would ask you tonight, what is one of the most unusual characteristics about the book of Esther? No mention of God. In fact, this is the only book that you're going to find in both Old Testament or New Testament where God, the word God, the name God, is not even mentioned one time. However, at the same time, I would dare say that you'd be hard-pressed to find a book anywhere in the Bible where you can't see the hand of God at work more than you can in the book of Esther. So isn't that a strange coincidence? Our focus tonight is on chapter 3. We have uh, we want to cover that chapter together, but then we want to take a look at the lessons that we can gain from taking a look at that chapter. So focus, if you will, with me. Esther chapter 3. And after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of... of Hab- I've been working on this word all week. Hamadatha. I got pretty good too, didn't I? Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's commandment? And, and now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them. They told him, they told it to Haman, to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So there are a couple of places in the book that even though the name God is not mentioned, you see a reference to the Jewish religion, and you kind of get the idea that, that perhaps Mordecai, perhaps uh, Esther, uh, are, are actually uh, honoring the Jewish religion and practicing Jewish religion, even though the name God is not mentioned in the book. I think in chapter 2 we saw an instance of that, and tonight we see an instance with Mordecai. And so here's the situation. Uh, Haman has been promoted to the second highest position in the kingdom by King Ahasuerus, or, or, that, or Xerxes is what is sometimes known as. And so he's setting at the highest level you could possibly be outside of the king himself. And so the king has set him in a place where all those who were in position of ruling would pay homage to, to, more, to Haman. So Haman was feeling pretty good about himself, and as he would come and go, uh, some of the people... Now, notice at first, if you will, it's not Haman that notices that Mordecai doesn't bow. But it's those other servants, uh, those others who have noticed that whenever... They vow to, to Haman that Mordecai doesn't vow. So they question him about that. Look at verse 3. Then the king's servants, who were within the king's gates, said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's commandment? So it, it seems that, uh, and I don't know whether it was actually a commandment of the king that people should vow and pay homage to, to Haman, or was it just the position he assumed because he was the second in command under the king. Whatever it was, I don't know. But but anyway, uh, Mordecai is not going to do that. So, verse 4. Now, it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. So, finally, the word gets back to Haman. Well, you know what's going to happen now, right? 
Now Haman's going to be looking for Mordecai. Every time he comes and goes out the gate, he's going to be looking to see what Mordecai does. And what does Mordecai do? He doesn't bow. He doesn't bow. Well, uh, at first, you know, I think the, the thought might have been uh, from the other others around him that, you know, if we tell Haman that you're not bowing, that you will submit and you will bow. He did not. He did not. So, uh, it's interesting to note that how, how, what kind of effect this has on Haman. Now, you might think uh, that it, well, it would probably going to make him a little unhappy. No, it doesn't. It makes him furious. It makes him furious. Look what happens in verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. Now, you, you might think, or I, I, one might think, a rational person might be mad at Mordecai, right? Because he doesn't bow. But Haman's wrath goes a lot deeper than that. Because look what he chooses to do. Verse 7. And he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. What is that? Someone else have another version uh, besides the New King James Version, verse 6. Verse 6. It says, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai. I'm looking for another word there. Scorn the idea. Yeah, say it again. Scorn the idea of what? Of killing more only. So here's what happens is, his wrath has gone so deep that he says, you know what? Not only am I going to eliminate Mordecai, I'm going to eliminate all his people at the same time. So it wasn't enough for him to take his wrath on one person. Instead, he says, I'm just going to annihilate this sect of people called the Jews. So, uh, so he, uh, that he told the people of Mordecai, instead Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the, the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. So, I, I don't know, I, I have a hard time picturing exactly what's going to take place for the next couple of verses because I don't really understand this idea of, of her and, and of the, of the lots, casting the lots. Apparently, it's some way they have to decide when this is going to take place and what month it's going to take place and what day it's going to take place. So, listen to the reading here. Uh, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, so... We know we're talking early in the year, the first month of the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus. They called, they cast her, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day of the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Okay, so first off, I want you to know is that now it, it, it happens in the first month of the year that Mordecai is not bowing to Haman. Haman takes note of that and he's going to punish the people. But whenever it's all said and done. It's not going to take place until the twelfth month. Okay, so so you see, we have a twelve a twelve month period, almost an entire year, before this is actually going to take place. Now that's significant uh, as we go through the story. I want you to hold on to that because it, it won't happen tonight. But you're going to notice that 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 twelve months is going to become very important to the Jewish people. Okay, down the road. So. Uh, then, then Haman said to the king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people, verse 8, scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples. They do not keep the king's law. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. 
Notice what has happened. It starts out one man disobeying the king's command, if, if indeed there was a command, about bowing to Haman. And one man transgressed one law. To what does it turn into? Haman says it's the whole nation of the Jewish people. It's the whole nation of the Jewish people who are turning their nose up on you and not following your laws. We've got to get rid of all of them. Every, every single one of them. So, uh, so he comes up with this plan. Uh, if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasures. Okay, so it's not, it's not enough that Haman says, we need to annihilate these people because they're transgressing your law. He said, look, I'm going to post a reward on their heads. I'm going to put out all this, this reward and, and I will pay it to those who do the work and this money can go right into the king's treasure. Well, you, you would might, you might would think that that would entice the king, right? Okay, that sounds like a good deal. I could put, put some money in our treasure. But here's what happens. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and he gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy, the enemy of the Jews. Notice what has happened to Haman's wrath, okay? It's no longer Haman being up at, unhappy and mad at one person. Now he's mad at the entire nation of the Jews. And the, 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 the Bible says he becomes the enemy of the Jews. Well, as a matter of fact, that's certainly true because of what he wants to do, right? He's going to annihilate the race because they are his enemy. But he certainly becomes the enemy of the Jews. So the king says in verse 11, he said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you do, uh, to do with them as seems good to you. The king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month. We're still in the first month of the year. And a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all the people, to every province according to the script, and to every people in their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. Okay, so what's taking place here? What do you already know? What do you already know about any decree or law that the king makes? Remember back in chapter 1? can't be changed. Once it's put down on a piece of paper, the king decrees it, he puts his signet ring on. That law can't be changed even by the king. It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's there. It's going to stay there. So now Haman has got the king to agree to do this. He's received the king's uh, signet ring, giving him authority to do this. And, um, you know, they don't just write a single note and post it on the city square and say that you know, on such and such a date we're going to annihilate the Jews. They write this in every language of all the people in the kingdom. Did you notice that? To all the governors and all the satraps, according to the script, to every people in their own language, in the name of King Ahasuerus it was written. So not only was it written in every language to all the people, but all of it bore the king's signet ring on the letter. That makes it kind of official, does it not? Makes it pretty official. And then, of course, the law, everybody knew the law, that once the king says it, it's, it's done. It's a done deal. Okay, so they send the letter out. And the letter was sent by a courier into all the king's provinces to destroy, 
to kill and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women. And one day, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Now, that's all fine and good for the king to say that, right? But there's only one problem the king doesn't know about. And what is that? What nationality was Esther? She was a Jew. Yeah. What, what King Ahasuerus had just done is seal the death of his new queen. So, now, th- that's kind of what's happened in the story. Now, keep in mind, as you read through the book of Esther, it reads like a, a story from start to finish. You've got to read from chapter 1 all the way to the end to see how it ends. And so, actually, tonight we're not going to see the end of the story, of course. But this is kind of set in stage for what's going to happen in about a year from now. Okay? Yes. A hundred and twenty-seven. So I would imagine the king would have probably got tired of signing all those things. Just you know, that's a lot of bills to sign all at one time, right? But he took the time to do that. Uh, and I would imagine, I'm, I'm guessing because the Bible doesn't say this, Haman was probably putting a little pressure on him to do this. Don't you imagine? Thinking about Haman's wrath, thinking about his position in the kingdom, he sets up for next to the king one place. Oh, I, I don't think we've got to it yet. Yeah, we hadn't quite got to that yet, but we're going to find out that Haman is not just, uh, he's not just uh, the second highest in the kingdom. He's, he's a drinking buddy of the king. He's a drinking buddy. So let's, let's read a little bit farther. So he, he gives us, now, he's going to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. Uh, everyone's going to be annihilated. Okay. Not only that, they're going to plunder all their possessions. They're going to take them all away. So a copy of the document was issued as law in every province, being published for all the people that they should be ready for that day. So you can kind of see what's happening, right? This, this edict goes out. People are, all right, okay, well, we know this is coming up in about a year. We're going to gather whatever it takes, and we're going to get rid of all these people. So the courier went out, hastened by the king's command. Hastened, who do you think's hastening? I, I can see Haman behind all that, right? I mean, he's the second highest in the kingdom. He said, look, the king signed all these edicts, right? Now, you guys get them out there. Get them out there and post them on all the town squares, all the city halls. Get them out there. I want people to know this is coming. they got to prepare for it. And they got about a year to do it. So, uh, the, the, the courier went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in all in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was Perplexed. You know, it's my guess that it wasn't just the city of Shushan that was perplexed. I have an idea that every place that this edict was posted and the people read it, they're like, what's going on here? Why, why would we want to annihilate a people who are causing no problems in the land? I mean, if you could see if the Jews were rebellious people, if they were causing problems for all... I don't see that happening. What I see is a group of people who are in captivity, okay, and who are being good subjects to the king. They're not. Mordecai is the only one who's standing in opposition to him. Mordecai is the only one, and he's caused this to fall upon all the people because he would not bow before the king. So it kind of makes us think about. Uh, 
first off, it kind of makes us think a little bit about God's promise to Abraham. Yes. He does? No, he, he saves the king's life. He doesn't, he doesn't plan to plot him. Oh, yes, he, that's what you say. Yes. In fact, yeah, yeah. In fact, have we already read that in the second chapter? Not yet. Uh, again, that's part of the story that we haven't read yet, right? Like I said, this thing reads like a storybook and we're not, we're only to chapter three. So far, so far right now, we have a new queen, chapter two, right? And chapter three, we're gonna annihilate the queen. Oh, you have? Yeah, is it, yeah, the second, I think this is the second chapter that he, he hears about this plot. He reels it. Now, what's interesting to note about that is that's going to come up later on in the chapter 2. That plays a very significant point in part of this story. Is, is that incident where Mordecai reveals, uh, gets the word to the king that somebody is going to take your life. And, and so we're going to see how that comes back into play just a little bit later on. So anyway, Mordecai, is not, he's not causing any problems. He's standing at the king's gate. He's, he's delivered this message that literally saved the king's life, right? He's not causing a problem, but he is not going to bow to him. Not going to do it. And why did he say he's not going to do that? I think it had a whole lot to do with what we read over in the book of Exodus. When we read about the Decalogue, remember what the first commandment is? The love of the Lord thy God with all thy heart thy soul, right? And and I think even though the name God is not mentioned in this chapter, Mordecai knows that law. He knows that commandment. And he says, no, I'm not not bound to him. I'm not bound to him. He's just a man. not going to bow to him. He's not a God. He's he's nobody as far as I'm concerned. In fact, he was nobody, as we find out later on. Anyway, when you stop and think about what's going to happen if the Jews are annihilated, What's going to happen to the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That through thy seed, all nations are going to be blessed. You annihilate God's people, you annihilate God's plan, right? So, that can't happen. That can't happen. I mean, you can't annihilate the Jews because God's got a plan for the Jewish people to bring through the Jewish lineage Christ Jesus himself. So, we know that can't happen. So we've got to figure out how does God keep that from happening. And we talked, I think, on the first part of the lesson about God's providence. Did you not? And how that in God's providence we have God's general providence for everybody. You know, we read scriptures that said it rains on both the just and the unjust, right? God created this world. He put everything in motion. He's created the seasons. And it, and it rains on everyone. Everyone gets the rain. Everyone benefits from it. But then we also know that there was also a special providence of God too, wasn't there? In fact, we as God's people enjoy that providence today. We enjoy that providence of God. Doesn't God promise you and I today that if we are faithful unto death, He will promise that He'll give us a home in the hereafter? Doesn't God promise in His Word that He will, then somehow, and I don't know exactly how He does it, He looks after God's children? Isn't that the promise? Yeah. So if you annihilate the Jews, you ruin God's plan. So that can't happen. So Haman's plot, 
to destroy the Jews would have also would have also done away with God's promise. That just wasn't going to happen. All right. So let's let's make a, a few applications with the, about this chapter to your years of my life today. Things that we can think about. Number one, wicked men should not be placed in a position of authority. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, do you think do you think states, governments, nations are better off with wicked men ruling them? Absolutely not. Wicked men are going to do wicked things. So no nation is going to prosper and be better by wicked men running it. As the study, study unfolds, Haman will be shown to be an egotistical evil man controlled by his lust for power and popularity. Trouble is the inevitable outcome when that kind of a person is placed in a position of authority. Not only did Haman have that position, but having that position of power gave him the big head. Made him someone think that he's someone really special, right? And, and, and rightfully so. Uh, civil rulers must be upright in order to carry out their prescribed responsibilities. We just went through a big change of leadership in our country. We just voted in a new president. We have a new vice president. And, and, and I think that we should, we should remember what the Scriptures teach about us and the people in authority. Romans chapter 12, right? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to respect and pray for the people in authority, right? Well, so we're going to have to be praying for good things for our country with this new leader. A second application. Our conduct sometimes causes others to ask questions about our beliefs. Think about Mordecai. What was it that brought people's attention to Mordecai? It, it wasn't the fact that he was boisterous and standing on the street corner and saying prayers. and, and all. It was the fact that he was living a different kind of life than other people lived. And he was standing up for what he believed. So when Mordecai's peers noticed that he did not bow down to Haman, they wanted to know why he was acting that way. What is it what is it that causes you to speak different than other people, to dress different than other people, to act different than other people? Isn't that the same question that people should be asking about God's people today? What is it that you believe that causes you to act the way that you act, to talk the way that you talk, to dress the way that you dress? When the whole... Most everyone else is doing this as they please, and yet you're sitting over there by yourself, and we don't hear you using bad language. We don't hear you doing this. What is it? That, so those kind of things should draw attention to us, to, or at least to the point that people should ask, I want to know what it is about their life that makes them so special. As people see us from day to day, our lives should be opportunities I should offer opportunities for people to ask why we don't talk, act, dress the same ways as most everyone else. We should be ready to answer their questions. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Someone, if you would, turn to that. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. When someone asks us the reason for our beliefs, someone have that? I didn't look it up. De- Debbie? I'm sorry. There you go. God's people should be different than the people of the world. The way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we dress should stand out from the people in the world so that the people in the world should look at us and say there's something 
different about that verse. I like it. But I wonder what it is. I wonder what it is. Another application we could make from the story, right conduct, right conduct sometimes causes others to become angry. Did you get that? Sometimes by us living the life that we live and making the right choices and doing the right things upset other people. That happens, doesn't it? Let's look at a couple examples. Uh, uh, someone turn to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And while you're turning that, let me just remind you about Daniel, okay? Daniel made the right choices. Remember? When he was taken captive and, and he wouldn't eat the king's food or drink the king's wine, he wanted to be treated differently. Daniel was doing the right thing, but it upset a lot of people. It upset a lot of people to the point that, you know, he gets himself in trouble, right? What, Daniel in the lion's den, Right? Because he did that. Who's got, who's got Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8? Someone have that? It's quite a big reading there. Lonnie, would you read that? Genesis 4, 1 through 8. So Abel did the right thing, made the right choices, was living the right way, and it made Cain angry. Sometimes when we're doing the right things and we make the right choices, it's going to make people angry today. It's going to make people angry when we stand up for the truth and for what we believe in. Uh, think about a guy by the name of Saul. Open the book of Acts. Right? Here were Christians, uh, newly converted Christians trying to live a Christian life, and they were trying to do the right thing, make the right choices, and Saul had bit on doing what? Destroying the church. Destroying the church. Later, of course, he turns out to be the great apostle Paul, but none the matter. Sometimes people, whenever we do the right thing and make the right choices, we're still going to make some people very angry with the things that we do. Sometimes conduct, right conduct, causes others to become angry. Uh, and, and then think about a lot of the things that are said in the New Testament. Persecution is the lot of those who choose to follow Christ. Right? Are, are you promised an easy life if, if you live to be a Christian? If you're a Christian and live the Christian life? No. Right, Jesus, I remember in the book of John, we're studying on Sunday morning, Jesus told his disciples, the world is going to hate you. Why? Because they first hated me. 
They're going to hate you because they hate me. They're not going to listen to your words because they didn't listen to my words. They didn't understand that my words were from the Father. My words were not my words alone from the Father. So we know that following Christ is not necessarily going to be easy at times. We're going to have persecution. How about this lesson? God's laws are different from the laws of others. They always have been. That's nothing new, right? God's laws today are different than the laws of other people. So, Haman said concerning the law of the Jews, their laws are different from all other people's. And what he said was the absolute truth. They were. The laws that Mordecai was supporting was very different than the laws of the land that where Haman lived. Very, very different. One of the purposes of the law of Moses was to distinguish his chosen people from all other people of the world. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8. Think about it. All the laws that God put forth in the Old Testament, the dietary laws, the laws of purification, the other laws were to do what? Reveal that God's people were different than the people of the world. The commandment to God's people in the Old Testament was what? Don't marry outside of your religion. Don't marry outside of the Jewish law. Why? Why was that so important? Well, all you have to do is look at the ten lost tribes. You know the answer to that, right? What happened to the ten lost tribes? They married all the peoples round about them. They took on their gods. And eventually they're going to disappear totally. In fact, we just read about them as the, the lost tribes because you cannot tell any difference between those people and the people of the world. God intended that His laws separate His people from the world. What about Christianity today? Is it the design of Christianity today to separate us from the people of the world? It is. We're not to dress like them. We're not to act like them. We're not to talk like them. We're to be different. We're to be above them. We are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We ought to be different in the way that we act and live today. How about this lesson? Similarly, God wants His people today, Christians, to be different from the world all around us. Our obedience to the law of Christ will highlight our differences from the world. In other words, living the Christian life is going to accentuate the fact that you are different than the world. Just living the Christian life, just doing the best that you can, making the right choices, influencing people that you're with, telling the right things, going to church, taking your family to church, all those things are going to hold you out okay, and accentuate the fact that you are different than the world. Let's look at a couple of verses together. First, someone turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Alan, back on the back row, would you find that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18, uh, 14 through 18. Okay, a couple of other verses. Sam, do you feel like reading tonight? Do you, do you feel like reading? Do you feel like reading tonight? Reading. Well, I'm going to give you the verse right now, okay? Would you look up John chapter 15? In fact, this is the verse we studied just the last couple of weeks. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, okay? And John, if you will, look up First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Okay? And in the same book, John, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Boy, I gave him an assignment, didn't I? All right. 
So, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and what are we talking about here? We're talking about the fact that God's people are supposed to be different than the people of the world, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Alan. We are, I'm sorry, go ahead, start to cut you off. Folks, I don't know. You listen to that and you start to understand that God in His providence has got a special design for His people. He said, you got to come out from the world. you got to live there in the world. If you come out from the world, don't be like the people of the world. He wants to be different. Uh, Sam, John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19, chapter 15. And we were talking about this just, just the other day, right, in Bible class. How that Jesus, in preparing His disciples for the fact that He wasn't going to be with them much longer. He wouldn't be there to protect them. He wouldn't be there to teach them. He was going to go back to His Father on high. But He said, you know what? I want to prepare you for the life that you're going to... And it's not going to be easy. Because you're going to find that the world will hate you just like the world hated me. And the world will abuse you and the world will make fun of you. And you know what? It's not a whole lot different today, is it? We try to live the Christian life. We try to make choices, good choices. And what do people do? They mock us, right? And what do they say? Oh, you're square, you know? Why do you want to be different? But God wants us to be different. Let's look at a couple other passages. First Peter chapter 2, John verses 9 and 10. Isn't that beautiful? Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. What kind of people are we? We're God's people. We're God's children. We're the royal priesthood. We're a royal nation. We're the recipients of the royal promise. But he said you can't live in the world and be a part of the world and enjoy that. you got, you, you got to live in the world, but you can't be like the world. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. 
And he was trying to unify them for the fight that was in front of them. John, did you did you read chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 also? Would you? Now, the same chapter. So how does the world want us to act? It wants us to act just like them. It wants us to join them in all that debauchery and reveling and drinking. And like, you know, you live it up today and just hope there is no tomorrow, right? Now that's the way the world wants us to be. It wants us to be. But God says you can't be that way if you're going to be my people. If we want to enjoy the providence of God, if we want to enjoy that special providence, we're going to have to live a different kind of life. One other verse, and the last will be yours. Um... And I had someone in mind to read that. David, could I ask you to read Hosea chapter 8, verse 12? One verse out of the book of Hosea. And listen to this very carefully. Hosea chapter 8, verse 12. That's all it is to I wrote to them about my law and they regarded them how? As something alien. The real tragedy comes when God's law becomes strange to His own people. Think about that just for a moment. Whenever God's own people don't follow God's law. That's the real tragedy, right? When we know better. When we, when we know the, the, the promises laid up for us and we still turn our back on God and live the life like the world. Uh, I, I think the class has expired. Thank you for, for being here tonight. Thank you for participating. And Eddie will be with, with you next Wednesday night.